one of the strangest church experiences that I have had was related to church structure and deacon ministry. Several years ago, uh, Julie and I uh, were part of a church, and we were just newer to the church. We had joined and were involved. I was, uh, this tells the desperation of the church, I was helping to lead music. So there it is. Very desperate. It was a church plant and just trying to get organized and Uh, I was helping to lead music, had a rotation of different men who would preach. But people who who loved one another and cared about one another was a fun experience. We were looking to to participate in in this ministry. And the church had a business meeting one day, an organizational meeting, to get some some direction and structure. And the church's uh, business meeting and structure was such that Uh, decisions were made quickly and on the spot folks would vote and this could be done or that could be done and that particular Sunday we had the the music and I was sitting up front and had just finished that and we were now moving to the business organizational meeting and people began to talk and the person leading the meeting was asking for various nominations of positions and what could be done this or that and uh, Julie was nominated to be a leader, I think a deaconess, serving in a, a fellowship ministry of the church and helping to fellowship. Her gifts were recognized even then. And, and the, the folks quickly, yes, I'll second that. And they were ready to vote, and they voted. And I'm sitting up front, and we were looking at each other. She was toward the back, and I was up front. And we, it was like we didn't have cell phones that we could just start texting. Like, what just happened? <laughs> What is going on here? And this, uh, this decision was made and affirmed, and I got up from where I was in the front and went to the back, and I said, what, what just happened here? Did you just get voted into this? And I sort of stopped and I said, hold on. We had three little children at the time, and I was a student and trying to think about work as well, and I was like, there's no way we could add another idea you know, item to your plate here. And I said, she, she declines. Can we reverse this? Can we go back and undo what just happened? It was an extremely odd moment. But it brings to the surface the need for churches to be structured, to be organized, and to be organized well. So that when decisions are made, those decisions are thoughtful, those decisions have purposes that provide opportunities for people to grow in their relationship with God and that the relationships of the church are fostered as a result. If you're a guest with us, we are taking a break from our series. Uh, this spring, we were in First Peter and the summer into Second Peter, and these uh, messages in First and Second Peter were a bit of a reprieve from a longer series in First and Second Chronicles. We've been in for a couple of years, and next week we'll be back in Second Chronicles, and at that time I'll be reviewing First and Second Chronicles, thinking about fellowship, the current emphasis 
of our church ministry. And then we'll pick up in Second Chronicles and begin walking through through the rest of this year before the holiday season. So today we're taking a break to think about our deacons and to celebrate the work of Julie and Glenda and Jim and Skye and for us all to think about church structure. We're going to be looking at three different passages this morning. We're going to start with Acts chapter 6, then we'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and then Ephesians 4. And in, in each of these, I want to draw out one general idea. And you see them on the screen, you see them on the bulletin there. I'm just going to pull out one general idea and think about it in terms of, of our church context, but also in terms of, of broader church ministry. I want us to think about the value of organized local church ministry. In doing this today, I want to avoid a couple of errors. When we think about organized local church ministry, I think two errors come up to be avoided. One is that we organize just according to various structures that we participate in in life. There, there's a structure at my workplace. There are certain titles. There are groups and teams. Uh, if I'm a part of a large organization, there might be a CEO, a COO. There might be a president, a vice president. There might be an executive over this branch or over this branch. There are various titles and job descriptions in business, civic organizations, teams, any number of, of issues that, that could come up or, or, or events and endeavors, any number of those could be set out. And, and it's tempting at times to say, let's use those in the church. Let's, let's organize in, in this way. And that that may not be all bad. There are principles of organizational leadership that we could draw on as churches, and it could help us. But one danger is that we begin to put titles in the church that are not biblical titles, and therefore, over time, the biblical titles like elders and deacons begin to have less of a sense of importance in the church, and the roles that are established don't have the biblical qualifications and accountability structures that are set out in 1 Timothy and in Titus. And the, the problem then come, becomes that the, the local church is organized, but it's organized according to a business structure or a society or a club or an organization. None of those necessarily bad, but they lose the distinction of being the church. And that's, that's a danger that we would want to avoid. Just recently, I met with Pastor Adam and Pastor Allen to think about this. We want to make sure that if, if we start ministries, we think first elders and deacons, not just establishing some person to do something outside of biblical structures, because therefore we lose the biblical qualifications and accountability structure that the congregation enjoys in these ministries. And that's good stewardship. So we want to avoid that. We want to avoid making the church structure resemble something that's not in the New Testament and therefore implicitly belittling the New Testament. The second error that we would want to avoid is thinking of elders and deacons and in specific tasks 
with, with a rigid structure to them. There's a rigidity about qualifications, but what elders exactly do, what deacons exactly do, is probably more flexible than we might think. We know elders need to, to teach and shepherd, deacons need to serve, but exactly what that looks like in a particular congregation it may look different here or there, depending on the church's ministries and needs and opportunities. Qualifications don't change, but what exactly happens might differ from this church to that one. David Platt writes, Scripture gives some clear, non-negotiable truths that should guide our understanding of church leadership. It doesn't always clearly address what these truths look like in practice. This is why different Bible-believing churches can look different when it comes to leadership. The challenge for us is to take an honest look at the non-negotiable truths in God's Word and then, grounded in these clear truths, consider how they can best be applied in the context of the family of faith. I think if we consider these ideas, uh, it will help us And we want to avoid the extremes of rigidity in what exactly elders and deacons might do. And also in belittling the labels of church structure in favor of some other organizational structure we might pursue. So join me in Acts chapter 6. What's the value of organized local church ministry? In Acts 6, I want us to think about needs. That would be the operative word. If you're looking for one word, needs. As we organize our church around practical needs, and we're going to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and think about qualifications. As we organize around practical needs by establishing qualified men and women, needs, qualifications, and then we're going to turn to Ephesians 4 and think about the church relationships being built up in love. And this is the result, is is relationships and people growing together. That the church is a family, it's a body that is growing, and all of our structural activities, especially for deacons, the, the, the end always has to be kept in mind. It's not just get this practical need met. It's for the sake of people loving one another. It's not just get this task accomplished. It has to be in view of people loving one another. So join me then in Acts chapter 6. In those days, as the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to wait on tables. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom whom we can appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the preaching ministry. The proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, 
and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte from Antioch, they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. All of this begins in verse 1 with a problem, a blessed problem. Do you see it there? In those days, as the number of the disciples was multiplying, what we mean there, friends, if you're a guest with us, what we mean is that the number of those who understood God's love expressed in the person of Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection, those who had received the Holy Spirit, those who had brought into, been brought into this alternative society, that is growing. Here in Acts chapter 6, here in just the first five chapters, we have a view of Christianity and its rapid growth. It goes from a few who are gathered, about 150 in chapter 1, who are afraid of the Jews who killed Jesus. When the Spirit comes in chapter 2, there's this multiplying effect. And the previous chapter, even the Roman leadership, this teacher named Gamaliel, is recognizing the disciples. And this movement really is of God. And it is multiplying so much that that even the Jews are recognizing, if this is of God, we can't stop it. This is the progress of the book of Acts. And I want to just invite you, if you don't know Christ, there's a sense in which you're not really living yet. Because this group's alive. And they're alive like no other group in, in history. This group has God's spirit in them repentance of sin has has come about in these people. They are turning from their old ways, and now they're part of this new society, and we would invite you to that. That's what we want you to be a part of. We want you to be a part of this new society, the church, the eternal work of God that is broken into time now that will reorient work, family, hobbies, interests, that will give you a, a sense of wholeness like no other participation can. And, and we'll redirect those. We, we would invite you to that, to believe in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection as a substitute for your sin, to believe and to be saved today, to experience the Spirit, to be a part of this multiplying group that's still today multiplying. You, you may have come to church today, and it's fun to be at MCC, recognize there are millions of believers gathered today around the world. There are millions, millions and millions of Christians around the world today gathering to recognize Sunday, Jesus' resurrection. And we want you to be a part of that. This is a multiplying group. And because of this multiplication, the problem comes up of practical needs because this group has older folks, widows who are needing help. And the larger number there is, the larger the need will be, and here we have the rift that comes up in the New Testament, and the, the rift at times between Jews and Gentiles, and some feeling like they're being left out. And here we have a, a theological and a practical idea uh, wrapped up all in one, two sides of one coin, if you will. And, and the apostles recognize it, and they want unity. They want equity in these groups, and so they set out leaders toward that end. And you see the the, the flow there, verse 2, the 12 summoned the whole company. 
The disciples said it would not be right for us to give up preaching about God and wait on tables, referenced again in a bit, but their ministry is primarily a word ministry, a speech ministry, a leadership ministry, and can't make sure that every task in the practical sphere gets accomplished. They set up these who are wise and full of the Spirit, and, and they carry this out. The principle I want to gather with you from Acts 6 is needs practical needs, and that's what deacons are established to do. Ben Merkel writes the idea this way, deacons provide leadership over the service-oriented functions of the church. The Bible does not clearly indicate the function of deacons, but based on the pattern established in Acts 6, which the apostle, with the apostles in the 7, it seems best to view deacons as servants who, who do whatever is necessary to allow the elders to accomplish their God-given calling of shepherding and teaching in the church. I would just agree wholeheartedly with what Merkel writes, that the structure of the church is the primacy of the word and prayer, because that's the message that we have. That's the message that saves so people need to give attention to that. That's what elders are to do. But that's going to lead to practical needs, just as it has here. The apostles' preaching has led to practical needs. And if there is a sense of power in the word, people are going to gather around it. And those people are going to have needs. And there are going to be opportunities to equip those people to meet needs. And that's the role of deacons. It's about looking at needs and making decisions to make sure those needs are met. Sometimes needs will come up and we don't, and I don't foresee it. A few years ago, it was, it was around uh, Christmas, it was December, mid-December, and I began to notice that in a couple, my, my feet began to hurt, both of them, especially my right foot. Like in the, and just out of nowhere, I, mean, I, I run some, I'm pretty active, but never really had problems in my feet before. But it, it was getting to the point, not just walking, but like when I would press on the gas pedal, my, there was this pain in my foot. Just like It got to the point where, okay, I went home. This is now dangerous, Jules. I got this pain. I can't even press the gas pedal because there's pain. It's hurting. I need to do, there's now a need that had not been present before. So I start shopping around, and today I'm standing before you with inserts in my shoes that I have worn every day since I got them because instantly the pain was gone. There was a need that had not been there before. I've been athletic all my life, never had that, but when that pain hit, I had to make an adjustment because even my safety, my family's safety, if I'm driving is at stake here, I had to make an adjustment. That is how churches operate. If there's a need, we may need to make an adjustment and establish people to do it. Those people need to be qualified. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. The qualifications for leaders are set out in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 for elders and for deacons. Paul repeats these to Titus in Titus chapter 1 for elders, just deacons here in verses 8 through 13. Verses 8 through 13. Here we have what's not flexible. I mentioned earlier that exactly what elders or deacons do in, in, in a specific church might vary a good bit. 
but the qualifications don't. Verse 8, 1 Timothy 3, 8. Deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must be tested first. If they prove themselves, then they can serve as deacons. Verse 11, the first word is, is wives. It might be translated women as well. And I think that may be the best way to take the, the idea here. Women must be worthy of respect. Women deacons, that is. Not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful. The, the male deacons must be husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own households competently. And then the reward for both, verse 13, those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Verses 8 through 12 are a composite of character for male and female deacons. The emphasis is on self-control. The emphasis is on the quality of their speech, that they're trustworthy people. And verse 13, the reward that comes for both. Those who've served well as deacons, they gain, they gain a great standing. It's honor that we should give to them. When we think about the way that deacons must serve in practical ministries, faithfulness in speech, faithfulness in integrity of life rise to the surface because they're people who are entrusted with information often. They're entrusted with a task, and they have to be faithful in that task, in what they say and in how they live. If you're going to summarize verses 8 through 12 for both male and female deacons, we could summarize it in in the word of integrity. They have to be people of integrity. And that integrity is around Christ. Notice with me in verse 14. I write these things to you, hoping to come to you soon, but if I should be delayed, I have written so that you will know how people ought to act in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And most certainly the mystery of godliness is great. He was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on the world, taken up in glory. Friend, mark well the flow of thought in 1 Timothy 3, from elders to deacons to this description of Jesus' incarnation all the way to his exaltation. The focus of this passage is going from people and elders to deacons to Jesus. Imagine a funnel or an inverted triangle. The focus is on him. Ministry is not just about qualified people. It's not just about our integrity. Those are means to an end, and the end is the pillar and foundation of the truth. It's him. There's a sense if we get that, we can sort of work backward a bit. I was in college. One of my favorite classes in college was History of American Jazz. Now, this was an elective. You know, get an education degree, because you just, you know, just so much you can fit in there. It's a lot of fun. It was Friday afternoon. I think it may have been a couple days a week, maybe Wednesday, Friday. I don't remember exactly, but I know it was Friday afternoon. And it was just a filler class. I had to get three credits, and so I'm going, this is it. Looks, I mean, I didn't know anything about jazz, you know. So I'm going, and this professor walks in, and there's a record player. It's a large auditorium. 
and walks in and he puts on a record and he pushes play and he's just doing this. He's going. And people are talking. He turns it up just a little bit and people start looking at him. And a few minutes in, he turns it down. He starts talking about the artist and going through it. I, I learned about Thelonious Monk and Dizzy Gillespie and Charlie Yardbird Parker and Duke Ellington. And I learned about Kansas City before I moved to Kansas City. And yesterday, there was this great jazz event on the lawn by Liberty Memorial, and I missed it. I didn't know it was happening. I got to hear a little bit last night. He would just... At the beginning of the class, I didn't care at all about jazz. By the end of the class, this is like my favorite class ever. You know, I go home, to, or Julie would go on a date. I said, this is incredible. Listen to this. It's so good. This guy was here, and he was there, and he played in this place, and he did this gig. It's going. He loved jazz so much that he made the class love it. He loved it so much that it just inspired us all. That's the way church leadership works. It starts with the last paragraph of 1 Timothy 3, not the first one, not the second. God was manifested in the flesh. Show me someone who's gripped by that and they'll serve. Show me someone who is gripped by the reality of Jesus' death, resurrection, exaltation, who knows the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth, who is consumed by that, and it doesn't matter if they're recognized as a deacon or an elder, they'll serve, but likely they'll be, if their gifting is there in the church fellowship, recognized in these ways and put into practice. qualification based upon love for the truth. Needs, qualifications, and then loving relationships. Back to Ephesians chapter 4 for just a moment. I had mentioned earlier just asking any who don't know Christ here today to come to, to know him, to be a part of this alternative Society to to really live. You're you're you're, might, you're here, but you're you're a dead person walking until you're born again from above by the Spirit, and you, you change, you turn, you you want God more than you want yourself, and that's what Paul writes about in Ephesians one through three. He's writing this alternative side. These people who've been born again, who've experienced this, and he's writing to help them understand all the glory of of what they've received, and now they participate in it. In, in chapter four, they. They're actually a part of this because eternity has broken into time in the here and the now. The mystery, the eternal mystery has been revealed now, but it's not done. It continues on to the next generation. Therefore, we could just put this into a logical flow. Eternity is broken into time now, but it's not done. So therefore, it continues on. The conclusion we would make then is that we're, participating in it for the next generation. And it's now being worked out through us. So the church is, is an organic organization. It's, it's alive. It's a building. It's a family. And that's, that's what we're a part of. And we read about that here in chapter 4. 
the, the resurrected Christ, verse 11, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints and the work of ministry to build up the body of the Christ until, until we all reach the unity of the faith, the knowledge of God's Son, growing. Do you see verse all, all the, the active kinds of ideas? Verse 12, training. That's what elders do for, for the, the sake of, of building up. So we are to the end of faith, growing, verse 13, into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we'll no longer be children tossed by the waves and, and blown around. Look how protective the church is. See how protective it is? So you're not blown and tossed and this way and that. You're, you're stable. Feeling unstable, friend? Sense instability in the world? Come. Come be a part. Do you see implicitly why church stability is so important? <laughs> Speaking the truth in love, verse 15, let us grow in every way into him who's the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the whole body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. That's the point, as I said earlier. The point in Acts 6 that we drew out of practical needs, 1 Timothy 3, qualified people, Ephesians 4, in love, loving relationships, creating structures so that people can grow. People can grow in their knowledge of God. They can grow in love for one another. And we can be the alternative society that God has made us to be. And as deacons function, we work toward that end. Sometimes faster, sometimes slower. Ups and downs in the situations of our lives. But always toward that. Church structure is never an end in itself. Never has it been the case that a church structure is just about having a board to do this or that. It's always people. It's not just about having a ministry team. It's the result of the operation of that team so that people can grow in love. God's love for them and love for one another. That's the value of organized local church ministry their needs we want to recognize those we want to set people into place so that those needs are met and people can be built up in love that's the result that's what we're after let me set out three ideas in in walking out the door with our thoughts about church and ministry today and in many ways these relate not just to elders and deacons but all of us all of us in in church ministry. The first one is this, communication. Uh, we're we're no, more, no more organized than we are clear in communicating. That's why as a church, we have a bulletin. We try to send out update emails. We want people to know what's going on. We want you to participate. If you are newer to MCC, I want to make it clear. You are invited to everything pertinent to you in our church calendar. 
We want you to come be a part. We want you to come and, and feel connected and, and, and get involved with what you would like. We're communicating so that you can be involved. We want you to know what's happening. We don't ever want it to be the case that, well, I wasn't sure about that. Well, we want, we want it to be clear. We need to communicate. And all of us need to communicate well. Second, we need to have follow-through. If we, if we make a commitment in ministry, we need to follow through with it. I said I was going to do this. I'm going to try to do it. Lately, I recognize that just the busyness of life, I'm needing to write nearly everything down. And just this week, I was having a lunch with somebody in church and talking about something, and they were talking about it. So I'm going to write that down right now so I go do that. Some of you get emails from me late at night after elders' meetings because after those meetings, if I have said that I'm going to contact X person to do this, I'm going to make sure I do it. And if I don't do it right away, sometimes I'll forget. So I'm going to I'm going to be I want to try to do all I can to follow up and be faithful. Third, attention to detail. But attention to detail is different in the church than it is in maybe other spheres. Not not entirely, but in in some ways, our attention to detail isn't just to accomplish that task. It's recognizing that as we do it's more likely creating an environment where people are going to love one another. It's not just about detail as if, okay, all the dots here are correct, all the T's are crossed, that's true. All, everything's done in my sphere of ministry just the way I said, that's true. But it's so that people who are participating can have an experience where there aren't distractions where they can love one another, where things work. That's what we're after. It's the ends, not just the means.